Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Remember when you were feeling hopeful about the New Orleans Saints? Remember that? That was like a week ago. You're feeling good. You're feeling all right about them. Like, hey, maybe they've turned a corner. Look what they did defensively against the Raiders. Offensively, they're rolling, feeling good about themselves. You're like, you know what? Man, the Saints, they got a chance because the rest of the NFC is awful. The rest of the NFC South in particular is dreadful. Who that? Let's go. And you were playing a team that was driving the struggle bus when it came to its defense. And they had injuries. Starting tight end, out. Starting wide receiver, out. They looked vulnerable. You were at home. Monday night football. Here you go. And then the game started. And then all those good feelings you had were gone. Maybe time to give up on the Saints. Keep trying to move the goalposts for this team. Keep trying to say, hey, you know what? They're only a game out of the division. The division's bad. They can win the division and get into the playoffs with only seven or eight wins. We keep moving the goalposts back. Maybe it's just time for us to accept the fact that this team isn't very good. That they're a bad team. And that this season... Is lost. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I'm joined inside the studios by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. We got a tremendous show lined up for you on this Tuesday, Election Day edition of RP3 and Company. Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast will join us. An hour from now to recap the Stroh's World Series. And where do they go from here? Some guys are became free agents as of yesterday. The Stroh's have a ton of money, though, to play around with. Can they bring back Verlander? Can they bring back Yuli Gurriel? We'll ask him all of that and more at 7 o'clock. Then right after that at 7.20, Coach Dez, the man in charge of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, will be joining us. They have a quick turnaround, disappointing loss, a game they let get away from them on Saturday against Troy. They have no time, though, because they got to host Georgia Southern this Thursday. 
and they need a win in a big way if they want to get back to being bowl eligible. By the way, even with Saturday's loss, because there's not enough teams to go around from some of the conferences to be bowl eligible, the Cajuns are still projected to make a bowl game by many experts, including Brett McMurphy, who has them playing in the Independence Bowl. Coach Dez, 720. At 8 o'clock, McNeese. All things McNeese with Jim Gazzolo, the host of the McNeese Coaches Show and the man who covers the Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. And then 8.30, we'll talk Pelicans. Great starts of the season, and they've nah, it's not been so good ever since. It has been wolf-tastic. We'll talk to it. Talk about it, rather, with Ollie Cassell from the Bird Rights. So that's our lineup on this Tuesday edition of the show. Of course, we'd love to hear from you. Hotline is open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. And we already got someone raring to go, ready to jump on, wants to talk about the Monday night football game. Mickey's on the line. Good morning. What's on your mind? Good morning, Mickey. Good morning. This is Mickey. Look, first of all, I want to thank you guys for getting a nice sports show here in Lake Charles. Y'all have been awesome. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome, brother. We appreciate being over there. Thank you for that. Before I get started, let me just tell you, I was born in New Orleans, 1967. I was at the opening Saints game before I start my criticizing, okay? One in 15. All these people could wear their bags. I didn't. I stayed loyal, okay? So let me start from there. All right, bud. But let me just tell you, buddy, if I was Hill, I'd go into Mickey Loomis's office and say, trade me or play me. Because I think the, you know it's too late now for the trading deadline, but he's just letting him off the hook. He's going to make him suffer like that. And it's just, you know, the thing that stands out to me is that you, you, did, you had done such a better job of calling plays, right, for, for, what, about three or four games? And then last night it just went all out the window. Like, I, the, the play calling was bad. They didn't know how to game plan against a bad defense. It was just all around a poor effort from planning, from coaching, from being prepared. They looked lifeless. I just inexplicable compared to what they did the week prior. Oh, just listen, my my, my son and my girlfriend, Mickey, you're gonna have a heart attack because I I am so loyal. I really am. And this poor offensive coordinator, when they put him on the camera. I feel sorry for him. He looks so lost. Like, oh, my God, I can't do this job as an assistant coordinator like I did with Sean around. He looks he looks totally lost to me. As far as Dennis Allen, go back to being defensive coordinator, get a new head coach. I was yelling, fire him. Fire him after the game yesterday. I, I'm, just, I'm just upset with both those guys. I understand, brother. I understand. Appreciate the phone call. I hope you enjoy your well, day, just, my friend. Just, just, just one more question now. What is your explanation of why Hill doesn't play yesterday? What do you think the reasoning is? I'll answer that. Appreciate it, bud. Thank you. Hey, look, thank you very much for your time. Great show. It's curious about the playing time for Hill. You have a weapon. You choose not to utilize it. That's what it feels like. And I don't think it's done on purpose. I don't think they sit down and go, well, we're not going to use Taysom. Because there's been stretches in the season where the offense has looked good, where they utilize, they have utilized Taysom Hill. Lined them out, out, you know, out there. 
But then there have been other times where you're like, hey, you need some tough yardage. Why don't you have one of your best players on the field? And there's times, whether they are game planning this way or they don't even know that it's happening, that they don't have one of their best playmakers. Look, Taysom Hill's not a great quarterback. He's not. He's a great athlete, a great football player, not a great quarterback. There's a difference. But if you're a team that is struggling and you're in a ball game, don't you think you'd have Taysom Hill on the field more? Don't you think? Why can't you have Taysom and, and Alvin Kamara on the field at the same time? You, you're not going to have Michael Thomas. You didn't have Jarvis Landry yet again. I know Saints fans are loving the fact that you're paying guys to play, you know, or rather, not to play. But Taysom Hill, Chris Olave, Alvin Kamara, all at the same time? Well, that's causing some matchup advantages for the Saints, wouldn't it? Because you don't know what Taysom's going to do. You're going to have to guard him. You're going to have to defend him. Well, maybe now that takes them prevents them from doubling Alave or doubling Alvin Kamara. I don't understand the Taysom Hill usage. I really don't. If you have the tool, why aren't you using it? Once again, he doesn't have to be the starting quarterback. Why aren't you using him as your wildcat more? Why aren't you using him in the tight end slot? Why aren't you using him more? When they've utilized him and Kamara more throughout the season... They look far better. Last night, they just looked nothing but awfulness. 27-13 to 13 loss to a Baltimore Ravens team that isn't that good. Lamar Jackson is special. But once again, no starting tight end, no starting wide receiver, two of his best targets, his favorite targets, not playing in the game. Not playing. They had to throw out Kenyon Drake's corpse out there to run the football for Baltimore. And Lamar was only 12 of 22 for 133 yards. But he averaged six yards a pass. I was told there'd be no math, but I can do simple math. Hannah, last time I checked, six plus six is 12, correct? You only need 10 yards for a first down, correct? There we go. 133 yards passing, only one touchdown. That's good. You know what's not good? The Saints run defense. We talked about taking the running game away and forcing Lamar Jackson to beat you with his arm. Kenyon Drake, 93 yards on the ground for 24 carries, two touchdowns. He averaged nearly four yards a pop. Lamar Jackson added 82 yards, and that's in addition of being sacked three times, mind you. And he still got 82 yards, averaging seven and a half yards per carry by the quarterback. Ravens rolled up nearly 200 yards on the ground. And the Saints' defense was 
Not good. Not good. You were supposed to shut down the run. They just can't do it anymore. I, I, I think that's the realization that all of us have to come to is that that Saints run defense that was kind of the hallmark of their defense, right? They stopped the run. They didn't give up a 100-yard rusher to anybody in a, a span of years. Plural. Not singular, plural. They were one of the best, if not the best, run defense in the NFL. That run defense does not exist. It's no longer there. They struggle, struggle against the run now. You knew that was Baltimore was going to do. Two of their best passing weapons were out of the game. You knew that beforehand. You got the scouting report. You got the injury report just like the rest of us. Stop the run. Nope, can't do it. Going to let Baltimore average 4.7 yards a carry. Once again, 10 yards to get a first down, right, Hannah? We've established that. We're making sure that I am correct here. And I'm not great with you know, the percentages and all, but let me go ahead and hand, bring out my handy calculator here. So if I average 4.7 yards a carry and I run the ball three times, that means I'm getting 14.1 yards on three carries. Only need 10 to get a first down. There we go. Just making sure I wasn't going batty. Where's the defense? You had one great defensive game from the Saints against the Raiders, and then they regressed and went back to what they've looked like all season long and what they started to look like last year. Couldn't stop the run. Couldn't do anything. And offensively, they were pedestrian. Dalton, 19 of 29 for 210 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Once again, turnovers. There it is. Offensive line gave up four sacks. Dalton was pressured a lot. He also was holding on to the ball far too long in this ballgame. And what about the Saints' running game? 15 carries for a total of 48 yards. That's it. Couldn't run the football. Turned over the football. And you use Taysom Hill once as a rusher, once as a passer, and a couple of targets in the passing game. And that's it. Last time I checked, not a recipe for success. What an uninspired performance by New Orleans last night on Monday Night Football. Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on Ross to the show. Ross, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? I just want to, after you do it, I just want to say this. I know you were talking a few minutes ago and said that uh, that uh, the, the Ravens, their defense is really kind of garbage. But they're not. They're, they're not garbage. They were they ranked like 26 in pass they defense. Nice players along the uh, along the defensive line. Well, along well, old. yeah, along the defensive line, but overall defensively they're not good via rankings and they're ranked around 25 26 before last night's well, game in pass defense. Well, and they got all those well, names, night, man. They got all those night, names, but they played out of their mind last night. Now, is exactly. that because they're good or is that because they played the Saints? Well, maybe it's because they played the Saints. <laughs> now, one 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 Another another point, just another little point. We have we 
we have some injured players. Sure. And our and our second our depth, our depth doesn't match the Ravens' depth. Think about that. But when 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 I'm when not, our players when we I'm, don't I'm, have nobody that but Ross but Ross I don't I, I don't disagree that but isn't that the job of the team to make sure you have proper amounts of depth because every yeah. team in the NFL deals with injuries and I think that's I think that's I, the bigger point about the Saints is that I don't think how do I say this in 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 the right way to figure out I I think they were able to kind of hide. Depth depth issues for a while because they had enough high end players to make up for the fact that they didn't have the quality depth, right? So when you take away some of those high end players like a Michael Thomas or a Drew Brees or you know somebody like that, when you take those players away, now all of a sudden you're exposed because right. you didn't Agreed. you don't have the depth like other teams do, and I think that's part of what we're seeing this year is that. Once you take away I, a couple of those elite guys, you realize that this team doesn't have any depth. I agree. We're a skeleton. We're yeah. a skeleton. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And uh, we we just uh, I think that's back. That puts it back to Mickey Loomis. I agree on what on what we do moving forward. You know, as a with this team, I think we need to. We might need to cut bait with some of these high end players. Just take the just take just take just take the cap hit and say you know what if you ain't if you're not producing you're not gonna stay here. They could very well, brother. They very well. It's a good point by you. Appreciate your phone yeah. call, man. Uh, be safe yeah. out there today. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and, and and that's part of it because Mickey and the Saints front office were all in year after year the last what six years. So it was like, okay, well, we're, we're going to lock up all these guys. We're going to give these guys these big contracts. Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, Andres Pete. All those guys got hurt, by the way. I'm just, I'm just saying. And there's only so much money to go around. So they had to sacrifice. Once you started to have, as Kevin Foote would say, pay the piper. Once you had to start paying some of those guys, there wasn't that much money to go around. And this team doesn't have the quality depth as we thought they did or thought they would because it's been kind of hidden, if that makes any sense. We'll talk more about this game. 27-13 loss for the Saints to the Baltimore Ravens. We'll talk more about that coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And you're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Okay, obviously a disappointing loss. Um, you know, I think you got to give those guys credit. I think they came in and played really well, had a good game plan against us. Uh, they made it difficult for us, um, really kind of in all phases. Um, it's a good team that we played, and, and uh, they were the better team tonight. That's Dennis Allen stating what I would call the obvious. 
Ravens were the better team tonight. You think? The Saints got whipped in all three phases. They just did. The Ravens were the better team. They were the better coach team. They were the more prepared team. They executed better. Any metric you want to use comparing the two teams, Baltimore gets all the check marks. The Saints, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around the fact that this team looks so uninspired. Right? Where's the energy? Where's the focus? Where's the fire in the belly? Do you see it when you watch the Saints play? I saw it against the Raiders. I saw it in the comeback win against the Falcons. Have you seen it anytime else? We saw it a little bit in London against the Vikings. But we don't see it week to week from this team. How is that possible? How is it possible that you have veterans on this team like Cam Jordan, like DeMario Davis, like Alvin Kamara? They have all these vets on this team. And yet, they come out looking flat, lackluster, get pushed around, can't stop the run, still missing tackles. The play caller looks like he's overwhelmed by the moment. Pete Carmichael's been on staff for more than a decade. Where's the direction? Depth is an issue, and they got banged up big time last year. I mean, in last night's game, they got banged up where they lost people yet again. Eric McCoy center had to leave the game. They had to move Riaz over to center. Alante Taylor, the rookie that they're really high on, who I'm really high on as too, the versatile kid out of Tennessee, had to leave the game. Said more injuries last night. And yes, they've been a little snake bitten for sure. But well-run organizations absorb injuries, absorb losses because they've built up roster depth. Saints don't have that. And then on top of it, where is... I don't, where's the Saints swag? What happened to it? It's not there. We could break down play calling problems. Once again, Taysom Hill last night, one pass, one run, and had one target. Woof. You're not getting the ball in your playmaker's hands. We talked about that earlier in the season. They seem to turn a corner in that regard. Let's get Taysom Hill involved. Let's get Alvin Kamara involved. There are two best offensive weapons, and let's get the rookie Chris Olave, who's now our third, because Michael Thomas is, may, may never even play again. And what did they do last night? Let's give just as many targets to Kevin White, who we just brought up from the practice squad. What? And Dalton didn't play well either. So much so that people are like, hey, are they going to make a quarterback change? Are they going to... Swap up and put Jamison now. And Dennis Allen was asked, you know, hey, did you think about making a change at quarterback during the game to give your team a spark? No, I didn't. Um, look, we, 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 there was a lot that, that wasn't good offensively tonight, you know, and so there's a lot of dirty hands in that. What does that even mean? I, I, 
what does that mean? Okay, so a lot of people didn't do their job. Okay, great. Does that start with you? Does that start with your offensive coordinator and your play caller? Because I think that's a legitimate question. You, you don't want to blame Andy because you think it was a total team effort. A lot of people had our hands in it. We've heard Mark Ingram use that same phrase earlier in the season, by the way. So that must be something that's been plastered on a bulletin board in the locker room. You know, the same posters that you see that, you know, says success and has someone on a mountaintop that you see in corporate offices. That must be what they're having down there in Metairie at the Saints facility. Well, all of our hands are dirty. Okay. How's your team not prepared? How's your team not better? I have no idea. I have no idea. And I'm beginning to feel like they don't have an idea either. To be perfectly frank with you. I don't know if they understand what it is. That's wrong with this team. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Randy. To the show, Randy. Good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind? Well, good morning, Raymond. Um, <clears throat> wanted to talk a little bit about the Saints, like you are. Um, I gotta say, <clears throat> there's no excuse for Taysom not being more involved in that lineup. And there's also a, a lot of things that are going on. With, and we all know the wide receiving core is uh, is not real good right now. And in that case, Baltimore's defense looked pretty darn good. And and when you get down to it, if I was a Ravens fan, I'd be talking today like we were talking last week after the Raiders game about the defense. They were swarming. They were in the backfield. They were disruptive. They they had a great game, the, the Ravens' defense did. Now, yeah, you know, we weren't playing our best. But uh, I think when you really boil it down, uh, the offensive play call was just atrocious. Oof. And when you get when we get into this thing, you talk about making a quarterback change. Now, it's no secret that I really don't like heinous Jameis, and I think his career has been terrible, and I think he's terrible. But the fact is, those coaches right now, they see something. He would not be on the bench if they didn't see something, that they didn't really think Andy Dalton was the better option. So, you know, this whole idea of a quarterback change, I, I think the team would get worse. I know that's hard to believe, you know, being only three wins into the season. But Randy, I, I like your point. Worse. Randy, I like your point. But then that goes back to the offseason. Why'd you bring Jameis back? Right? I mean, because if there's something that you're seeing, because Pete Carmichael and Dennis Allen were on the staff last year. So if there's something that you're seeing that says, hey, you know what? Dalton's our better option. You brought in Andy early in the offseason. Why'd you bother to bring Jameis back? Remember, they signed Andy Dalton before they brought back Jameis. So once again, that well, kind of that, that, go, that goes to my 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 question of the off season of well, why do you have both of them? Remember the old saying is if you have two quarterbacks, you have none, right? So obviously Andy gives them a better chance to win than Jameis does. I agree with you on that part, but then you have to go back and question their front office decision to even bring back Jameis. Well, you got to remember, I did question it, and I was one of the only people. While everyone else was delusional and talking Super Bowl with Jameis Winston, I was like, no, this guy's never even been to the playoffs except as third string behind Drew Brees and Taysom Hill. You know, but why the front office did that, I can't explain it. I thought it was dumb at the time, but here we are right now. Somehow, I mean, Allen's not a great coach. I think we can agree on that. 
But those guys have to be seeing something. You don't pay a guy $24 million and sit him on the bench behind Andy Dalton, who is a proven commodity and not going to be great, uh, unless you're seeing something. It could be attitude. It could be... Uh, there could be a lot of things that we just don't know. All but we then, know right now is they're saying he's healthy and I, he's not playing. Ready? I, I I don't disagree with that point. My only thing would be also then th- these are also the same coaches that decide to only put the ball in Taysom Hill's hand three times a game. Yes. So <laughs> so the, excuse for that. Right. So their decision making may not be the best. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the other part of that. It's like, well, yeah, okay. I, I think I see that you know Andy's a better option at quarterback than Jameis. But then on the same hand, this is the same head coach and offensive coordinator that says, Taysom Hill, you're one of our best weapons. Ah, we're not going to use you in a game. So I, I don't know if I trust anybody down there to make any type of decision, period. Uh, there you go. But the good news is, though, we're still only one game back. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate the phone call, brother. Enjoy your day. All right, thank you. Good morning. Yeah, and that's the thing about it. But we keep moving the goalpost on that, right? Because you keep hoping that the Saints, the light bulb is going to go off, that it's going to happen for them. Ah. Yeah. Do we just go ahead and get to the point where we say maybe Tampa Bay is the team that goes 8-9 and and wins the division? Because right now, this morning, I have far more faith in that happening than I have the Saints catching either the Falcons or the Bucks to get first place in the division. So, yes. Even after last night, they're still only a game back of the division. And the NFC South is hot garbage. Hot, wet garbage at that. And the teams remaining on the Saints' schedule as of this morning, only one of them has a winning record, that being the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. Can't wait to see what the defense does against Jalen Hurts again. Oh, in Philly? Oh, man. But how do most of you feel? That's our poll question of the day. How do you feel this morning about the 2022 Saints? Do you still have hope? Who that? Still hopeful? Do you feel like this team is cursed? Do you simply just miss Drew and Sean? Or do you feel it's time for paper sacks? Right now, 64% of you say, I miss Drew and Sean. 27% of you say it's time for paper sacks. 9% say the team is cursed. No votes yet for being still hopeful. (laughs) John Paul Cajun Daddy says, Drew and Sean are so missed that they were a combination that was better than any quarterback-coach combo and sharing a gif of, I miss you. Ralph Bergeron says, one week after making us feel pretty hopeful, they come out with a terrible game plan and no fire. This team is taking on the personality of its coach, and that ain't good. There may be something to that. Maybe Dennis Allen's not a dummy when it comes to X's and O's. Maybe he's just not a good motivator. Doug on Twitter says, I'm not sure how I feel about last night's game, Ray. Using DA's famous statements, let me look at the film first. Woof. Hashtag woof. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Let me look at you. I love that's what he says about everything, isn't it? I got to look at the film first. You couldn't tell? Couldn't tell that your team was struggling? Not prepared? Had no fire in the belly? Ugh. We got to take a timeout. Keep those votes coming, though, on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep them clean for the kids. 
You can keep those calls coming as well. Game hotline's open. Love to hear from you. You know that. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together. Or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Yep. Yep. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Time is running out, and when I mean running out, I mean like today, this morning. If you want to be one of the first people to see Black Panther Wakanda forever, then text the word Panther, P-A-N-T-H-E-R, to 337-283-8100. That's 337-283-8100 for your chance to score a spot for two on the guest list for a private viewing of Black Panther Wakanda Forever at the Celebrity Theaters in Broussard this Thursday. Once again, text the word PANTHER to 337-283-8100 to score tickets for Black Panther Wakanda Forever brought to you by The Game, Celebrity Theaters, and Sherman Insurance. But man, we are going to be drawing winners today. So you want to get those text messages in, you got to do so this morning so you can have a chance to score tickets to go see Wakanda Forever. Saints, losers. I mean, that's that's the best way to describe it. 27-13 loss last night to the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football. They dropped to 3-6 and six now. And technically, they're still in it. They're only a game back of the division. But do you have any faith in this team to be able to even get to eight wins? Let's just say get to eight and nine. Yeah, I don't think anyone does. Sorry, Charlie, but that ain't happening. Not the way this team plays. A team that is playing better, a team that is playing consistent football is, well, those LSU Tigers. Took down Alabama 32-31 to in overtime, dramatic fashion. One of the best games I've ever seen in person at Tiger Stadium on Saturday night. But now, they gear up. I expect them to jump up probably around a 7 in tonight's college football playoff rankings. And they're in the driver's seat now to get to Atlanta to represent the SEC West to play for the SEC championship in December. But they can't slip up. If they beat Arkansas Saturday morning and Ole Miss loses to Alabama, it's done. They win the West, they go to Atlanta. If they win out, they'll go to Atlanta. So everything's in front of them. Who had 10-win season and playing for a conference championship on their LSU preseason bingo card? No one. And Brian Kelly, look, loves the fact that they won the game. It's a great win over Alabama. It means a lot for the program. But you know what? They gave themselves 24 hours to relish it, and then they already started preparing for Arkansas on Sunday. Really good win. Our guys got 24 hours to uh, to enjoy it, and, and now we're um, our focus is on another SEC opponent on the road. 
Um, Arkansas, it's the Golden Boot, another uh, rivalry trophy. Of course, uh, they hold the trophy from last year's 16-13 win at Tiger Stadium. And, uh, you know, obviously playing a team that uh, has a very um, prolific offense. Did you, hear, did you hear what he had to say there? My man dropped the score from last year's game and made sure everyone remembered it was in Tiger Stadium. That just didn't happen to come out of Brian Kelly's mouth by accident. Oh, uh, you know, playing for a rivalry game, you know, they beat us last year 16-13 to 13 inside Tiger Stadium. That's a message sent to his team. And I'm sure that's a message he told them on Sunday when they met and when they met yesterday on Monday as well. Hey, you feeling great? Great. Remember this team beat y'all last year in our house. Let's go up there and return the favor. That's the mindset you have to have. You can't have a drop-off here. You can't sleepwalk, even though Arkansas appears that they're fading, that they're regressing as the season progresses. They're not Texas A&M dumpster fire, but they're getting pretty close. Arkansas lost to Liberty in Fayetteville on Saturday. Now, they've been able to have multiple guys step up. And in particular, that stood out to me, is the play of the defensive line. Remember, Mason Smith gets injured in the very first game against Florida State. And that's a huge blow for them. And they struggled the rest of that game after he left. But they've been able to figure it out, specifically at the defensive tackle position. And Brian Kelly talked about the two guys that have really played well after Mason went down with that injury. Yeah, obviously, uh, I, I think that, you know, anytime you lose a, a, a stalwart like like Mason, um, you know, there's there's cause for concern. Um, but I think what we've done really well is is mix up the front. We've played some three down to take the pressure off of um, losing a, a player of that caliber. Um, and, and by doing so, have been able to rotate that, that defensive tackle position um, with three down and four down. And by, by doing so, obviously, you're playing with one nose. And uh, I think that's really helped us a lot. So uh, the loss was great, but I think we've managed it by being smart and tactical defensively. And those two guys have been outstanding. Wingo being one of the guys, even though he's undersized, he's played like his hair is on fire all season long. And look, the offense has really thrived. It has progressively gotten better week after week. Jane Daniels is growing into a guy that's going to be in the mix for all conference honors. And this is a conference that has Hooker, Bryce Young, Stinson Bennett in it as well. So the offense obviously has greatly improved. But Kelly made sure to point out yesterday when he talked to the media for his weekly press conference that, hey, you know what? Prolific offense, those are good to have. Don't get me wrong. Got to have a defense that's just as prolific. I've been doing it a long time, and, and I know that there are times where, you know, prolific offenses, you know, certainly get you, you know, a lot of wins. Uh, this, this is about not winning. This is about winning championships. And, and it's my belief that winning championships still, you've got to control the line of scrimmage at the end of the day. And so – Controlling the line of scrimmage is stopping the run and running the football effectively and, and exerting your will. So there has to be a physicality uh, about what you do. Yeah, I still think you can win games um, throwing the football. 
and and we'll have to win games, you know, with that kind of offense. I said that earlier in the year. You can't win games throwing the ball for 85 yards. Um, then we came back and threw it for over 300. But the point I'm making is physicality starts and ends with stopping the run and running the football, and we're doing a better job there. They're doing a better job. I like them to win. The conditions Saturday are going to be rough. It's supposed to be cold. We're talking like long sleeve weather, cold, up in Fayetteville. Weather's supposed to be nasty, and it's a morning kick. They're going to have to be Johnny on the spot come Saturday. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up hour number one. That's all coming up next, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Poll question of the day on this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company, Election Day edition. How do you feel this morning about the 2022 Saints who lost last night to the Ravens and looked uninspired, lacked focus, lacked fire, lacked execution? They fall now to 3-6 and six overall on the season. Ooh. Right now, 57% of you say I miss Drew and Sean. 30% say time for the paper sacks. 10% say this team is cursed. Once again, more injuries last night. 3% who dat still hopeful. Steve on Twitter shared a picture of a Saints with a throwback jersey of a paper sack. Fashionista. That's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> uh, Dominic Bear says should be an option for who dat, but let's see what next year holds. Yeah, it's not great. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two, we're going to kick it off with Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. How do you feel about those New Orleans Saints this morning? That's our poll question of the day here on this Election Day edition of RP3 and Company. Three minutes after 7 o'clock, tons of votes have already poured in. Of course, the Saints lost last night on Monday Night Football to the Baltimore Ravens and looked just absolutely awful while getting beaten by the Ravens. They fall to three and six overall in the season. So how do you feel about them this morning, Saints fans? We want to hear from you with our poll question of the day. Right now, 57% of you say, I miss Drew and Breeze, or Drew and Sean, rather. There we go. Names are hard. 30% of you say it's time for paper sacks. 10% say this team is cursed. Had some more injuries last night. Alante Taylor had to leave the game. Marcus Davenport had to leave the game. Eric McCoy had to leave the game. Just 
and 3% of you still are holding out hope. Who dat? Still hopeful. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But right now, it's time for us to talk about the World Series. How about the World Series champion, Houston Astros? They win the World Series in six games. Dusty Baker gets his first World Series title. And the Strohs can now quiet the critics as they now have won a World Series since the 2017 season, the one that caused all the ruckus amongst the heavyweights and the beat writers and the big baseball writers in the country about that World Series championship and how they got there. Well, now they got another. And now they've won two in six years. And instead of being more like the Atlanta Braves of the 90s, now they're appearing to be more in tune with, say, the Reds of the 70s or the Yankees of the late 90s, early 2000s. To talk more about it is the man who co-hosts the Locked on Astros podcast. He also contributes a weekly column to 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. Brett Chancey joins us now. Brett, good morning to you, bud. You said Astros in six. You already had your tickets bought for game six. Uh, can I go ahead and get those lotto numbers for this week? <laughs> well, all I want to say is y'all wanted Houston and you got us. I mean, if if you really thought that the Phillies were actually going to to really compete against the Houston Astros who have put together the most dominating relief pitching, starting pitching performance, and then Jordan Alvarez would absolutely hit a ball that I believe went through the moon um, and probably has not landed. Like, really, like, you don't watch baseball because this team is not only a dynasty, but it's a team of destiny. I am so tired of the team of destiny narrative from the NL East. Can y'all please sit down? And let the big boys do the talking because everyone else right now, this is amateur hour for y'all. We absolutely run the American League and we absolutely run the major league. And I don't see us regressing anytime soon, RP3. This is amazing. We were there in person. We were singing, We are the champions. My son called that sixth inning. He said, Dad, this inning, both teams are going to score. The Phillies are going to go up, but the Astros are going to have the lead by the end of the sixth inning. And boom, if Wheelhouse Jr. didn't call it. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because it is redemption for this team. I mean, you say dynasty, and I don't disagree with that, but if you didn't win the World Series, then you would have been the Braves of the 90s, right? I mean, that's that that's where you would have been at. It would have been one World Series in six years with three World Series defeats. and But, but the Strohs were able to avoid all that and turn things around. Obviously, the no-hitter shifted the momentum in this series, and the Phillies were never able to get it back, and you guys seized control and got the win, got the wins that you needed. You know, let's talk about that pitching staff because if you don't have guys like Christian Javier, if you don't have guys like Jose or Keedy, you don't win this World Series. It exactly. boils down to that because – Blance McCullers flamed out, was not very good for you. And Verlander was bad in one game, and the next game he was pretty good. You actually had to depend on the rest of the rotation, and in particular, like you hinted at, Brett, your bullpen. Yeah, exactly. And and that's that's why when you when you look at this the starting rotation, we've got four legit starters, and we got two guys that we really didn't even use that much, and one of them not at all. 
in this in in this World Series um, itself in the in the six games. I mean, you, you talk about Christian Javier in his postseason career. He's given up 14 hits and 32.2 innings pitched. Um, that's I think three point. This is from MLB Metrics. That's 3.857 hits per nine, the lowest in a career in postseason history with a minimum of 30 innings pitched. You can almost say that Christian Javier was the best pitcher starting-wise in the World Series for the Houston Astros because he, yet again, throws a combined no-hitter and continues to be nails and continues to, to mature. And a lot of people, maybe outside of Houston, don't really know a ton about Christian Javier, but we have known about this kid since he came up. And to have him contributing the way he did, the relief pitching you know, Montero, Marys, Ryan Presley. Like Ryan Presley easily could have been the could have been the MVP of this World Series as well. Because he has been impeccable. Um at home, let me tell you, I haven't been that jazzed up for a for a closer to come out since Brad Lidge pre our Pujols home run. I mean, this is next level closing material. And we didn't even use Ryan Stanek hardly at all in the World Series, and he set a record during the regular season with ERA. We had so many bullets in the chamber, and every time we used them, they executed to perfection. Even in that game where Lance McCullers gave up all those home runs, when the bullpen came in, they shut the Phillies' offense down. Dusty gets his win finally. And how much does that mean for him and for the Astros that the guy that they brought in to kind of stabilize things, the steady guy, the the veteran baseball guy, lifelong baseball guy, to bring in and and for him to finally get over the hump and win a World Series championship with this team? Well, I think it's phenomenal because if anybody doubted him being on a Hall of Fame track without a World Series title, then, I mean – you don't know Dusty's history. You know, Dusty comes up, his first managerial game comes up, and who does he face as the opposing batter in the leadoff? Jerome, I mean, um, Geronimo Pena, Jeremy Pena's father. <laughs> Fast forward to 2022, and he's winning his first World Series title. And he said himself, I knew at some point this would happen, but you go back every year expecting to win. And this team bought into his to his managerial style. The players, every step of the way, celebrated him. And I don't know if you saw the way he was mauled in the dugout after they won, but he absolutely turned out to be the perfect fit. And you could really say that in 2021, if we didn't have Verlander on the shelf, if we didn't have McCullers on the shelf, if Bregman was healthy, that that World Series probably could have gone differently as well. And Dusty Baker has done a fine job managing, and he has managed through the minefield of the playoffs with near perfection. There have been a couple times where we've questioned here or there, but for the most part, he's done a phenomenal job. And I think all those losses in the World Series is what helped him win this one because he's the type of guy you, you learn from failures. You learn from losing. And he's one of the most positive human beings on the face of the earth in his faith. I just I think it's great that he gets that because he truly is a Hall of Fame manager.
James Click needs some credit as well. I know the report came out about the trade that he tried to do, and Dusty and and, and Crane said, no, no, we're not going to do that. But he's also inherited a, a tough situation when he took over as general manager, just like Dusty inherited a tough situation. I know Dusty and James don't see eye to eye on most things, but without some of the moves that he's made over the last couple of years, you don't have this World Series championship either, correct? Yes, that is that is 100% correct. And you can't discount James Click's um, fingerprints on this team. He has been, I mean, the Rafael Montero trade was him, you know, getting Vasquez and Mancini. And people may say, well, they didn't really contribute. But if you don't have Mancini's glove after Yuli comes out, no telling how that changes the series. Vasquez did get a couple hits here and there. He was available. And then we find out that Martin Maldonado was playing with a broken hand for three and a half months. That's insane. But James Click does deserve credit because without him coming in, like you said, to a tough situation and sometimes just steady in the ship and making sure you don't overthink stuff. And, you know, of course, I understand what he was thinking with Contreras. But I also like that Dusty was there to regulate that because Dusty didn't want someone fighting for playing time in a free agency year when he knew that he was going to be platooned for the most part. And I think that's why they got Vasquez because he probably agreed to that role. So James Click does deserve credit. And who knows if he's going to come back or not. I think Dusty's most likely comes back. James Click, I don't know because they're being so ambiguous about it. I guess we'll just have to see in in the coming weeks if James Click remains with the Astros or if they go out and get somebody else. But how weird is that? I mean, that's the thing that this whole that whole situation just seems very kind of bizarre to me. Your GM and your skipper don't have to get along, right? The 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 goal, the objective is to win championships, and you don't you can do that without having to like the person that you work alongside. But this whole thing from the owner about both the future of his GM that just won a World Series and the future of his skipper that just won a World Series and the fact that they're all kind of just hanging out in the ether about it is really weird. It is, and I think this is more of a of an issue between Click and Crane than it is Click and Dusty. But those are just things I've heard. Like, I, I don't I don't have any inside sources on that. I haven't talked to anybody close to the club, so I'm not trying to be the voice of, hey, this is what's happening. But it just seems like when someone like Jim Crane doesn't get along with someone, they typically are not – they don't last very long. And, and you, you've got to look at Jim Crane's success putting together a ball club and creating a culture. And, and give him a lot of credit because without his pocketbook, without him being at the helm, the Astros aren't getting here. The greatest owner in Astros history by far because he's done more with this team and this roster. He's a, he's a baseball guy. So if Click and Crane can get on the same page, I think he comes back. But I wouldn't be surprised if they moved on. My only issue is if you move on, how are you going to be? How are you going to get an upgrade? Because you don't want to get someone with less experience. You don't want to get someone who's kind of a downgrade from Click. Why not keep Click until maybe this run is over? I mean, honestly, I think this run is still alive for another five years. If I'm being really honest, we're talking with Brett Chancy of the Locked On Astros podcast. He joins us here 
on RP3 and company. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because when you look at the guys that they're losing, they're not losing that much. I mean, Verlander is a free agent, but they have money to sign him if they wanted to. And a lot of reports are that he would like to come back. Whether or not they can make that happen for the guy who's more than likely going to win the MVP remains to be seen. But Michael Brantley Jr., we knew was going to be a free agent. Diaz, Castro, Montero, Yuli, Christian Vaquez are all free agents as well. That all happened yesterday. Of those guys that have become free agents, who are going to be the priorities for the Astros who have a significant amount of money to spend to bring back those guys or to sign new free agents? So um, so I basically covered this on the show last night. I, I think you give, you give a green light and you most definitely go after Verlander, Brantley, Guriel, and Montero. Now, Guriel with a little bit of caution because if he's still able to play, you put him in a platoon role and you don't sign him for $15 because that's what his market value is. You can get him on a really reduced rate or you can talk him into retirement to be your, your Cuban liaison for baseball players to continue the Cuban pipeline into Houston. Then do that. Michael Brantley's market value is $8.5 million. You could easily re-sign him. I would sign him and not use him in all 162 games because I want him available for the playoffs. Justin Verlander, please sign him. His market value is 41, but I think you could offer him 30 million for two seasons, give him a third-year option, and you can work that out later on. Rafael Montero, market value is 8.14 million. I think you get him three to four years, 25 million. You could bring him in and keep him. I think Vasquez walks. I think Diaz, you let him walk because you've got David Hensley. You've got other guys. Will Smith, he's an unrestricted free agent. You let him walk. And Mancini is interesting. If you bring if you bring back Guriel and you feel like Mancini can do something with a full season under his belt in spring training, his market value is only $10 million. You could get him for a pretty bargain price and I think a solid bat throughout the season and maybe fix some things in his swing that you saw but those guys right there, I think you could see coming back realistically. But some of those guys, you have to give them reduced salaries. They have to take a reduced role. And who knows? In free agency, Rizzo is now a free agent. Um, Abreu out of Chicago is now a free agent at first base. So Turner's a free agent. Some, yeah. You, you've got some interesting first base options that are out there free agency-wise can you bring Uriel in a reduced role and bring in another superstar? I mean, heck, can you imagine two Cubans anchoring first base in Abreu and Uriel and splitting time? I don't know if they would do that. But there's so much to unpack in this offseason. It's going to be an interesting offseason. Like I mentioned, Turner's going to be, and he has John Hamm doing his voiceover hype videos. Good luck, Dodgers, re-signing him at shortstop. But there are a lot of guys that are going to be out there, and teams are going to be throwing money around whether it's with Aaron Judge or Turner from the Dodgers or whoever it may be, there's going to be a ton of money thrown around. be interesting to see what the Astros do. Do they sign their guys and make that a priority, or do they go out and try to get another piece to keep this run going? We'll find out sooner than later. Brett, appreciate your time. As always, brother, we'll have you on throughout the offseason as free agency kind of heats up. 
once some deals are done, we'll make sure to have you back on, brother. It's been a blast having you on during this World Series run. Yeah, thank you so much, and I appreciate everybody in, in um, you know, Lafayette, Louisiana. Guys, you you guys have helped power us. I mean, we're number three on the charts this week for Apple Podcast. over a million downloads for the show. Our show, Eric and I are already talking about content and what we're going to do next year with the show. We've got some exciting things coming, exciting interviews. Um, check out, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe to Locked on Astros. Listen to us in your vehicle as you're commuting to and from work on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Odyssey. And remember, the only place to get the best coverage of the 2022 World Series champion Houston Astros is Locked on Astros podcast. Brett, appreciate your time, bud. Thank you. It's Brett Chancy from the Locked on Astros podcast joining us there, recapping the World Series run, looking ahead to free agency. Look, they have, a, they have the money. They have the flexibility. They can re-sign the majority of those guys and still go out and be aggressive and get some more pieces. So this window of six straight ALCSs and four World Series appearances and two World Series championships could be extended. Very well could be. we got to take a timeout when we return. Coach Dez will join us here. Raging Cajun football talk. That's next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. 180! What's Raging Cajuns head football coach Michael Desimo joins RP3 and company to talk all things Vermillion and White. It's time for Hashtag UL Culture with Coach Dez. Coach, good morning to you, brother. How are you today on Election Day? Good morning, Raymond. I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well, brother. Doing well. Appreciate you making the time, as always. So let's go back to Saturday's game. You know, obviously disappointing ending. You guys uh, had a win there, kind of slipped through the hands. It's disappointing. What was the message that you gave to those young men in the locker room afterwards? What did you tell them? Yeah, I mean, I told them I was disappointed for them. Um, you know, they, they prepared really well that week. They were ready to go play. And well, for three quarters of the game, really deserved to win the game um, and, and played played really well against a good football team. Um, you know, I mean, after the game, I don't, you know, it, it's it's never a lack of effort with our team. It's never, you know, we, we don't we don't have those types of issues. You know, you just uh, when you get in crunch time and you, and you get down there, you got – you know, numerous opportunities to get off the field on third down, um, you know, to extend drives on offense and eat more clock. You know, so it, it's not one or two plays that you point to. I mean, there, there's a handful of things right there in the fourth quarter in particular that we could have done to uh, to finish the game out. Um, you know, certainly special teams, you know, everyone plays a part in it. So, you know, after the game's not really the time to go into that with the team. Um, you know, those kids are hurting. They, they wanted to win that one as bad as anybody. Um, you know, the seniors, they wanted to, to go out the right way, and our younger kids wanted to get a win for them. So, you know, after the game, you know, you just talk about what you got to do moving forward. You know, talk about this short week that we have this week and how we're going to attack it. And, uh, you know, talk about the, the things that we spoke about the week before the Troy game are still intact, still in front of us, an opportunity to get no bowl game, to go win a bowl game. Uh, you know, all those things are still there. So the, the vision and the focus for us has got to stay the same. We got to have a great week this week, and we got to go out there and we got to go play four quarters um, next week, uh, this week, which we haven't done the last two. So, uh, you know, that's where we're at. 
Um, you know, and I think on Sunday, that's the time that you go back through the specifics of it with the team and say, okay, this is where we, we need to do this, that, the other to, to finish the game and win. But, you know, after the game, uh, that's not the time to do it because they're, I mean, hell, you know, those, those, they're the ones who have to go play the game. So, you know, they, they're, they're, not, they're not interested in, in all that right in that moment. As a former player, now head coach, how do you purge a tough loss like that? Because it can linger. And once again, as you know better than anyone, you're dealing with young men. We're dealing with 18, 19, 20-year-olds. A tough loss can linger, and it can impact your next game, as you know. So how do you purge that? How do you kind of flush away a bad win and get prepared for the next game? Well, I mean, I think it kind of – that's part of the challenge, right, is being able to do that, and especially on a short week uh, where, you know, where the game ended the way that it did with those things. That's that's what you worry about. You know, that's what kept me up all night Saturday night and, you know, Sunday morning. That's kind of what, you know, really kind of has you stressing the whole way. And You know, you think about, man, how are we going to get these guys back? Because, you know, you know as a coach the way you feel. But, you know, this team impresses me more and more every day. Um you know, like I said, I mean, just the way they felt after the game Saturday, um, you know, I knew they were hurting pretty bad. And then Sunday afternoon, by the time we get ready for our team meeting at, you know, 4 o'clock, um, they're in there. They got their notebooks out, their pens in their hand, ready to take notes, ready to watch the tape, ready to talk about what we got to do moving forward. And it's just business as usual. We go out there and have a Sunday night practice. And, and man, they, they just they don't miss a beat. It's I don't know. I, I can't say it enough. You know how special this team is, and, and how much you know, how much I, I just I love this group and the way that they do it because they just keep showing up, and um, that's 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 why that's why you want good things to happen for them so bad because they deserve it. They really do. Um, so, you know, I was concerned about it because I do think that's the hardest thing to do. But then Sunday afternoon when we got back, they were they were sitting there locked in, ready to go. So. You know, we've had to turn the page and move forward. And, you know, the reality of it is Georgia Southern lost a game just like us. So when I told them that, I said, you know, we feel sorry for ourselves. That's all fine and good. But, you know, they lost the same way. So they're, they're, they're not they're not going to feel sorry for us. we we gotta we got to get it together and get ready to go play and go find a way to win this next one. And that next one, as you mentioned, is Georgia Southern. It's a, a quick turnaround for you guys on Thursday there at Cajun Field. We talked about it a few weeks ago of having the quick turnaround when you got had to get prepared for Southern Miss, how much did that experience you think is going to be able to help you with another quick turnaround this time around, Coach? Well, you know, we've played in quite a few of these games over the course of the last, you know, really last three years. Um, and so, you know, we've, we've got a pretty good blueprint for, for ways that we've done it in the past that have worked pretty good for us. So, you know, you kind of follow a similar blueprint. I think the biggest thing um, – is just fine, is making sure that you manage the time getting ready for it, you know, because the the, the same amount of work's got to be done. It's got to be done in five days instead of seven, you know. So you're talking about number one, being more efficient with your time. Number two, you know, spending a little bit more time, you know, each day on on different things and kind of divvying up that um, to be able to get it all done by the time you get to Thursday. Um, so I mean, I, I think it helps, you know. Uh, the practice format that we have, I think it allows our kids to go out there and go play, you know, and go be fresh. You know, whenever we played Southern Miss, I didn't feel like fatigue was an issue. Um, you know, felt like we, 
really played great in the second half. You know, certainly didn't start the way you want to, and you gotta gotta do a better job of that this time around on the five day turnaround. But uh, you know, sometimes it happens like that, and so you know, it, it, it's football's a game of momentum, and a lot of times, well, you can, you can catch some momentum and ride that wave. You have a chance to have a have a pretty good night, and for us, I think that that's been something all year that you know we've uh, we've kind of kind of rode the wave a little bit, and whenever it's good, you know, you can see some really good things, see some really good play, really good ball. And then you know, whenever the momentum kind of started to shift at times, it was hard to get it back. And, uh, you know, that's kind of that's what happened the other night, you know I mean? So I think part of it is, you know, you got to, number one, when you, when you get a lead and you have some momentum, you got to keep your foot on the gas and finish. So that's what we're talking about this week. And then number two, you know, when a couple of things don't go your way, you got to, got to find a way just to go out there, go do your job, you know, and uh, kind of put the fire out so we can, you know, kind of get it back in our favor. Let's talk about your opponent, Georgia Southern. They're now coached by Clay Hilton. Uh, Hilton. What stands out to you? Uh, stands out to you, rather, Coach, when you watch them on, on film? What do they do really well? They're they're really good on offense. Um, you know, they've got an offensive line that's that's a pretty veteran group. Uh, you know, they've been there. They got a number of returning starters, and they do a good job. You know, they have completely changed schemes um, from what they were in the past, but you know. I don't. I don't mean this in a negative. Surprisingly, you know, they've got really good personnel to fit it, and I think they've done a good job of uh, of adding to the roster and getting some players in there that that fit what they want. But you know, I mean, Georgia Southern University is a lot like you know UL. That there's a lot of good skilled kids in South Georgia. There's a lot of good skilled kids in Louisiana. You know, you just you should be able to find them, and they've got them there. So they. Uh, they got a bunch of little receivers that go out there and make plays. I mean, they're hard to get on the ground. They're shifty. Um, their quarterback, I think, knows the system really well. Uh, you know, he's had games where he's turned it over numerous times, and he's had some games where he's just been, you know, surgical and just falls out there, boom, 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 and he's going exactly where he needs to go. So, you know, we, we're going to have to do a good job. You got to try to affect the guy, try to get him to throw it to you a little bit. Um, but they're they're really good on offense. Um, you know, defensively. They've got some returning starters, and they've got some guys that are good players. Um, and then, and most of their games this year, you know, they've done enough defensively. They had gotten key stops and made key plays um, that have allowed them to win games. I mean, whether you go back to Nebraska or, you know, uh, James Madison, whoever, you know, they they forced a bunch of turnovers in a couple of those games. And so, you know, you got a group that I think they're scrappy on defense and uh, on offense. They put pressure on you all game, and you know, those games are always kind of tough because. Um, particularly if you have a, an offense that's scoring, um, and then for you, you start feeling like you got to score every drive, every possession. You start kind of pressing a little bit. That that's not a not something that typically works out in your favor. So you know we're going to have to go out there and go play a good football game as a as a total team for four quarters. Uh, you know certainly need a big effort from the defense again. Get those guys on track, um, and then offensively, you know we got to. We've been moving the ball well and doing those things, but we got to go score points and get opportunities. We got to quit settling for field goal attempts, um, you know, and, and we got to do a really good job there in the in the red zone, goal zone, and fringe to make sure that we make sure we get the ball, make sure we get six points on the board. You know, we we, we got to stop settling for, for field goal attempts, and uh, you know, if we can do that, we'll we'll have a really good night for these seniors in their last game at Cajun Field. Coach, appreciate your time as always. Best of luck Thursday night in the final regular season home game there at Cajun Field. Thank you so much for your time, brother, and we'll talk to you next week. Yep, thanks, Ryan.
Coach Des. Once again, everything's kind of still in front of them. And they want to get to a bowl game. They want to get that extra game. That's still there. If the Cajuns get to six wins, they're going to a bowl game. Now, part of that is because six wins get you to bowl eligibility. Another part of that is, is that right now there's not enough teams to go around. So even a Cajun team that may be 6-6, six and six, they're going to get to a bowl game. Some latest projections have the Raging Cajuns playing in the Independence Bowl in Shreveport versus Army. So they're going to get to a bowl game, but they only have three games left. Got to win two of them. And one of those games is at Florida State. So you got to get the win Thursday. Got to. Want to go to a bowl game? Win that game. That's going to put you in a position to then win the regular season finale on the road in San Marcos at Texas State. You do that, Cajuns are going bowling. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll go back, talk about those New Orleans Saints. Lost again last night on Monday Night Football and did so in terrible fashion. You know you like us. Then it's time for you to show us how much you like being in a relationship with the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Go give us a like on our revamped Facebook page and follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. I can love you like that. That way you can get the latest interviews, breaking news, and whatever shenanigans we're up to. Just search The Game Louisiana and be hooked up with Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, man, if you're looking for some great stocking stuffers for this holiday season, then you got to look no further than the game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. As a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou, a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. Those are all would be great stocking stuffers. But you can only score those by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today so we can help you with your stocking stuffers this holiday season. Don't forget to vote on the poll question of the day. Unfortunately, it's about the New Orleans Saints and how just terrible, 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 terrible they are. They got outcoached, outplayed. They were the less physical team. They looked lost yet again against the Baltimore Ravens last night on Monday Night Football, losing 27-13. to Inexplicable play calling. Taysom Hill's a weapon, right? He's one of your best weapons you have on the team. Yet, one carry, one pass play, and a whopping... One target and no catches for a guy who's a dynamic playmaker that can help you win games. As they like to say now on social media, make it make sense. I I don't understand it. The offense had gotten so much better. And then last night, Andy Dalton, four sacks. He held on to the ball too long. Another turnover. They didn't utilize Taysom Hill. 
The running game was non-existent. The Saints' defense didn't show up either as they got gashed on the ground. I, I think it's safe to say we can get to the point, and that's what leads us to our poll question of the day, can we just get to the point where we just admit that the Saints aren't a very good football team? We keep making excuses. Oh, injuries. We keep saying, oh, the division's awful. They're still only a game back. They can still win the division with winning seven or eight games. And all that's true. But do you have any faith and confidence whatsoever that this team can actually do that? They're three and six. As it stands right now, the Saints are three and six. Yes, they're only a game back in the division. By the way, they're two and four at home. Now, of course, one of those games includes the London game, which is just dumb. And, well, you already know how I feel about that. So they're three and six. Let's say the magic number to win the NFC South this year, which is just wet, hot, smelly garbage. Let's say you got to get to eight wins. Okay? Eight wins. Eight and nine is going to win the NFC South. That's the goal. Right now, eight and nine, let me do my math here. If eight and nine is going to win the division, that means the Saints will have to go five and three in their last eight. Correct? Five names? I was told there'd be no math. You're smart. You're educated. You got one of those degrees from a fancy college. Not a commuter school like yours truly. So they have to go in their last eight games, five and three. Now what helps the Saints, they only face, as it stands right now, one team with a winning record, that's Philadelphia. Can't wait to see what Jalen Hurts does to the Saints defense. This is who they have left in that stretch that we think they'll have to go five and three just to get to eight and nine to maybe win the division. At the Steelers. At home against the Rams. At San Francisco. At Tampa. At home versus the Dirty Birds. At Cleveland on Christmas Eve. At Philadelphia on New Year's Day. Then back home against the Panthers. Some of these teams are bad. Carolina, bad. Steelers, bad. Rams playing really bad. Browns playing bad. But they already lost to the Panthers. And that was before they fired their coach and traded away two players. Cleveland, by the way, will have Deshaun Watson back by that time. Just a reminder. Where's the five wins coming from? This is just for the Saints to get to five and three in their last eight to get to eight and nine overall. Steelers are playing bad. You could win that game, but that's on the road. Rams, Rams look awful, awful. But they kind of have the Saints number. San Francisco at Tampa, uh, maybe at Cleveland, at Philly. Oh, man. I don't know. 
Poll question of the day is how do you feel this morning about the 2022 Saints? 54% of you say I miss Drew and Sean. 34% say time for the paper sacks. 10% say this team is cursed. And 2% say who dat still hopeful. God bless you for that. God bless him for that. Let's head out to the hotline quickly. Bring on Ralph. Ralph, good morning to you, brother. Thank you for patiently waiting. What's on your mind, my friend? Hey, no worries, man. Look, uh, I, I'm also tired of hearing about oh, the, the one game back and the vision's bad and all this. Look, this is just a really, really bad team. I don't think we get to even five. Well, we might get to five wins, but that's, that's kind of the ceiling at this point. And, and just let this sink in for a minute. Dennis Allen's head coaching record up to date is now 14-43. and 43. The man loses 75% of the time. I mean, look, after this season – They've got to – I just think they've got to move on. I mean, I know, you, you know, generally you give them two years, a year and a, you know, a half, maybe fire them midway through next year. But, no, I, I've seen enough. The, the, the prep – look, injuries are one thing. If this team was coming out with a good game plan, playing hard, really, you know, uh, looking like a – you know, showing discipline, making adjustments in the game, I'd be okay with just saying, okay, well, it's injuries. But they don't. I mean, they make they look clueless. Pete Carmichael tried to tell them, I don't want to be an offensive coordinator. <laughs> and they, you know, and he looks like he doesn't want to be an offensive coordinator. He's just clueless on the sideline. And, and like you said, how can you not use your best, you know, well, arguably your second best weapon on the team? I mean, with Taysom Hill. Ridiculous. A couple of weeks ago, the man had a, uh, uh, it was an NFC offensive player of the of the week, and then they don't use him the next week. You know, it's like it, it's just mind blowing how how this team is. And Blake Gilligan, after the drug test in preseason, they can't kick it thirty yards now. Unbelievable. I mean, it, it's just it's, I've seen it's, all, I mean, it, it's just it's uh, always uh, something with this year's team, man. It's always something, right? It, it, it and and. It, it's always something, and I think it's just getting to the point now where you just go, okay, it, it's it's it, it, it's a wrap. It, it, it's not a yeah, it's not a fluke anymore. It, it, this is just what they are. Uh, but I just wanted to say, I, I hope Kevin Foot, Foot enjoyed his uh, Monday in the hammock because I know he's going <laughs> to have fallen out the hammock. Have you back on the soapbox today? <laughs> oh, that he will. That he will. Appreciate the phone call, Ralph. Enjoy your day, bud. All right. Okay, man. You too. Thanks. Yeah, the, the, the happiness was a, was a one-day affair. Shout out to the Saints for taking that away from us. <laughs> because, oh, it just, I just, look, we keep saying, oh, they're only a game out, right? But the division is bad. And they're not even leading a bad division. Just like to point that out. Maybe the Saints are just bad. Got to take a timeout. Wrap up our number two. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, or for any other reason, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. 
before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out there and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service, and to promote public safety, Louisiana 811 in the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles reminds you, call 811 and know it's below before you dig. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. How do you feel this morning about the 2022 Saints? Do you still hold out hope? Do you believe your team is cursed? Do you miss Drew and Sean? Or is it time to put on the paper sacks? Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll update it throughout the final hour of today's program. Speaking of, we'll kick it off with Jim Gazzolo talking all things McNeese Cowboys. That's next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Election Day, hour number three of this Election Day edition of RP3 and Company, three minutes after 8 o'clock. Coming up half an hour from right now, Ali Cassell, our friend from the Bird Rights, is going to give us his thoughts on what's going wrong with the New Orleans Pelicans right now after a promising start to the season. They've kind of fallen back to the middle of the pack. What ails the Pelicans? We'll find out half an hour from right now. But right now, to lead off hour number three, we're going to put the Saints talk aside. It's been enough of that, all that depressing talk. There is our poll question of the day. How do you feel about the Saints right now this morning after a lackluster, pathetic performance by the team on Monday Night Football at home? 55% of you say simply you miss Drew and Sean. 34% say it's time for paper sacks. 9% 9% say this team is cursed, and 2% of you say, who dat? Still hopeful. I believe maybe the 2% have been doing some early morning drinking or didn't stop drinking from last night. Because that team is not good. Not good. A team that did win their last game, that's trying to build something for the future, is the Bignese Cowboys. They got to win over the weekend against the Eastern Illinois Panthers on the gridiron. And guess what? The men and women's basketball teams opened up the season yesterday with wins at home at the Legacy Center as well. And to give us his insight is the man who hosts Poke Nation on television, who hosts the McNeese Coaches Show every Wednesday night right here on the game, and who covers the McNeese Cowboys slash Cowgirls for the Lake Charles American Press. It's our friend Jim Gazzolo joins us now. Jim, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Uh, better than the Saints. Well, <laughs> pretty much anyone else is. <laughs> that pretty much applies for everyone because they look dreadful. 
all right, bud, what's not dreadful is getting wins. And for McNeese, it's been a rough season. It's been a season that they've had to push through. They have to go through even more adversity on Saturday when their quarterback turned wide receiver, turned back to emergency quarterback, gets injured in the game, and they have to turn to what a walk-on to come off the bench to lead them, but they find a way to get the win. What's your biggest takeaway from what you saw in the hole on Saturday night? Uh, but the kids are getting better. The young players are getting better. Um, but they're trending in the right direction, and that Eastern Illinois is not good. <laughs> All these are true. Jimmy G ain't walking through that door for Eastern Illinois these days. Um, it's just that's no. just not happening. That's just not happening. No. Well, what about what? But, but 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 talk about the, that's the, the biggest thing. But but seriously, talk about the fact that. They're on their fourth quarterback, essentially, or their third quarterback, and he gets injured, and they have to go to a walk-on to come in to lead the offense. Now, it helps when you have Deontay McMahon, who's special. I get that, but talk about the fact that this team was able to adjust while dealing with yet another bout of adversity on offense. Well, I think think the big thing is they, they turn to a guy that doesn't make mistakes, uh, Ryan Roberts, he's a coach's son. He's from Lafayette, uh, Christian Academy. And he just, he handled the situation. He didn't take the dumb sacks. He didn't make the dumb passes. He made the simple plays, the simple reads. And he threw a football that for the first time, we really saw guys catch the ball in space instead of behind or having to slow down. And so I, he was accurate and, uh, he was solid, and, and what they needed there was somebody who's committed to stabilize the ship at the time. They already had a big lead and just kind of allow them to play football instead of playing catch-up. Deontay McMahon has really kind of carried this team on his shoulders since about the halfway point of the season, maybe even before then, Jim. Yeah. And it seemed like early on, golf didn't want to put so much weight on those shoulders but lately he's doing it and the veteran player has stepped up in a big way for the Cowboys well he he no longer had D'Angelo Durham um also what we we found out is you know players have to learn teams coaches have to learn players and I think it took until the bye week for them to realize what they had and what they need to have and quit trying to implement an offense and say, okay, this is what we got. We got to use it because our offensive line can only can't really protect, but it can run the football a little bit, and that's what they just simplified their offense. And it said we're going to get the ball into two or three playmakers as many times as we can. Mason Pierce was targeted ten times the other day. He had eight catches for a career high 145 yards. So I, I think they just said we're going to go with this and. Roberts really has been able to, because he played catch with them during practices, give Jalen Johnson a a sophomore and John McCall, a freshman, a lot of touches because he's customed in rhythm with them and he's used to throwing to them. Offensive line, am I crazy? Has the offensive line improved over the last three to four games? Well, both statements can be true. The line is better, and yes, you're crazy. But, <laughs> but the, Thank you, Jimbo. The, I appreciate that. The fact that uh, they got 
better. They got Karen Coleman back. But also, I, I think that the quarterback and, and who you like and who you don't like the last two weeks, Walker Wood and Ryan Roberts, understand not to take uh, sacks. I think helps get rid of the ball, both get rid of the ball a little quicker. Uh, I think that helps too. And I think that Robert said the other day he had one sack and he said, I, that's myself. I, I did not read it right. So I think it's not always the offensive line, but the, this offensive line has always been able to block moving forward. Its problem has been protecting the quarterback. They get the win. And look, they're not making the playoff. They're not winning a conference championship. No. But it could help them turn a corner. It's only their second win of the season. But they played so much better the last few games in conference play. Now they get a win. It feels like they're trying to end the season strong. They have a great chance to do so with the two opponents they have left. They have to go fight the uh, – go play, rather, the fighting Houston Christian University CVSs this week and then at home for the border war against Lamar. Both of those are winnable games. What you've yeah. seen the last three weeks, does that make you feel more confident that Gary Goff's team can win their final two games of the season and end up winning their final three games of the year and four overall? Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a legitimate possibility. Yeah, you have to go to the pharmacy this week, right? TV, the parking lot of CVS for the game. But the, the thing is, and here's, here's what I've been saying all along, is you look at this team, and if they win their last three, They'll be four and seven, but you'll feel better than last year's four and seven, because last year they lost three in their last four, and the spring they lost three in their last five. What we've seen basically over the last four or five seasons is these get worse during the year. They've kept their attitude pretty good and have kept fighting through. And especially the seniors like McMahon have kind of said, you know, we're not going to let that happen again this year. We want to go out fighting, and that's a completely different culture right there. Uh, but I think, again, we're seeing a lot of kids that have to play early in the year that are now stepping up. I mean, we don't, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you who the defensive backs were for a while last weekend. They were so far on the depth chart when the season began. True freshmen. That, that is, that is what we're seeing as they develop and they get better. We're talking with Jim Gazzolo. He covers the McNeese Cowboys for the late Charles American Press. He's the host of the McNeese Coaches Show, which you can listen to every Wednesday night right here on the game. He's also host of Poke Nation. My man's the multimedia superstar of Southwest Louisiana. And very happy happy about the the development of Justin Fields. So... Yes, oh, yes. There yes. you go, Everybody buddy. ripped him. Yes, love Justin Fields. That, once again, you keep wanting to pick a fight with me that I ripped him. I've never ripped Justin Fields. I told you that. I just didn't I think he think had the right coaches. The fight. I something out. <laughs> He's always pointing out. Do you see what Justin Fields did today? I was like, no. I was in church and spent time with my family. You maniac! I'm not paying attention to the Bears <laughs> on a random perhaps Sunday. You should. Oh, perhaps, perhaps I you should. should. Perhaps I should. Let's switch to this weekend on the road at Houston Baptist. Now Houston Christian. Uh, look, they're a team that's struggling as well, but that doesn't really mean anything because McNeese has struggled themselves. So what do the yeah. Cowboys need to do on the road, making the short trip over to Houston on Saturday to get that win? Uh, just run the football, make the simple plays, 
And their defense has played really well the last couple of weeks. And I, I say that in they've made big plays. They've gotten turnovers. We went the first five weeks without interception. And then suddenly we got seven in three games. So I think that that's a big difference, that they're turning the ball over more. Um, but I really think they just have to keep it really simple and run Deontay McMahon. He has a 200-yard lead in rushing in the Southland Conference and a game at hand with the guy behind him. So he's going to win the rushing title unless a complete collapse. But allow him to kind of control the ball game with his legs, make a couple of big plays, and, and really let their, your defense behind uh, Kendall Williams kind of take over the game, which is what they've done. You like them to win on Saturday? Yeah, I think they I think they went out. I, I've said that for two, three, three weeks now. I, I think the schedule flipped to where I think it's more about as much about who they play as to the, how they're playing as well. So, yeah, I think they went out and go forward seven. All right, let's switch gears to the hardwood. Both the men and the women opened up the season yesterday. They're at the Legacy Center. Now, they did so against opponents who I'm not familiar with. and they're, You're they're, not? No, no, I'm not. I'm not that familiar with it. But you were at both games. What stood out to you against, uh, against obviously, inferior competition, but what stood out to you about the, both the women's game and the men's game yesterday? Well, the, the women the women are a good team. They're deep. They're tall. They're, they're six. When, when Lynn Kennedy came here two years ago, he had one six with Paul Blair or better. Now he's got 10 out of his 15. Uh, all, all of them are athletic. All of them can pass. They can play big, tall-wise. They can play wide with bigger people, and they can play small and fast. So I really I think they're a good team. Um, the men I still have questions about because of turnovers. Uh, without the point guard from Southern Miss coming in, he's still hurt. I want to see how they do with point guards because they had eight turnovers uh, in the first 16 minutes, but then only three the next uh, as they kind of wore down uh, champion Christian. That, that's champion Christian, by the way. And uh, I, I think that we saw them just be physically dominant of them inside. That's not going to happen all year. So I want to see them shoot the ball a little better. Shot 47% from threes in second half. That was impressive. Uh, but all in all, I, I think that, you know, McNeese usually, and this is, this is kind of a, a change of philosophy for the men, especially they usually go on the road and play a power five for the first weeks and end up coming back home and play. And they're two and six, two and seven. This year they play open at home, then they go to Tulane, then they come back and play three games in a, in a mini tournament against mid-majors, Western Carolina, Lamar, and Lindenwood. I want to see how they do in those three mid-major games because bringing mid-majors to the Legacy Center they couldn't do when they were in Burton. And this is kind of a change in philosophy on how they're scheduling instead of going out and playing six or seven muddy games early in the year on their own get your head bashed in. That's going to be an interesting Saturday because the Lindenwood game is earlier on in the day in a week from Saturday, which means you'll yes. have men's basketball at, I think, 1 o'clock tip and then stick around for the football team wrapping up its season against Lamar for the border war at 7 o'clock in the hole. Yeah, 
it should be a well, it's no longer than yesterday where we started at 11 a.m. with the women and uh, ended at uh, nine o'clock with the men. So Ooh, that's a it's a bit. And, and by the way, the women's game, 2,500 guests of the program were fifth graders. Outstanding, exposing the We're kids Chuck to e. some cheese on steroids, baby. <laughs> are you prepared? Are you prepared for us to just? dominate that Saturday, a week from Saturday, for men's basketball and then football, bud? Are you prepared for you and I to just go out there and be the great tag team of handling that coverage? No. I'm prepared to wake up late, go over there, watch a basketball game, and walk across the street and watch football. (laughs) That's really all I'm prepared for. Uh, Jim. Appreciate you, Tom. Probably just as salty as I always am. I'll try yeah. I'll try to do that for you. Yeah, you'll keep trying to tell me about how great Justin Fields is and how everyone was wrong well, about him. Little notes along the way. I'll just bring a tape of it, and we'll just walk, oh. roll the tape the whole time. We'll, we'll, we'll break it down inside the Cowboy Club. Um, hey, you know one thing I want to mention: is nobody charged the field, so there's no fine for me <laughs> for the big win. <laughs> Buddy, appreciate your time. Enjoy the McNeese Coaches Show this week, brother. We'll talk to you next week. All right. We'll see you. No storming of the field. It sounded like Jim was a little disappointed there that that didn't happen. (laughs) Oh, man. Hey, before we hit our timeout, we like to have fun here, right? Let's be honest, we do. We have a lot of fun here at the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And look, if you're looking for a career change and have any type of sales experience, I'm talking retail to telemarketing and everything in between, then Delta Media wants to hear from you. Email your resume to our sales director, Johnette Cochran, at jcochran at deltamediacorp.com. That's jcochran at deltamediacorp.com. Or... Just simply give her a call, 896-1600. That's 337-896-1600. You have any type of sales experience and you want to join us here at Delta Media, give her a call or shoot her an email so you can become part of our team. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll talk a little bit more basketball. Raging Cajuns opened up the season. Both women and men did so with convincing wins inside the Cajun Dome last night. We'll hear from Coach Marlin, Coach Broadhead. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer. Or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Lafayette Marble and Granite offers the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble here in Acadiana. And look, Chris and his team, they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you numerous times before, LMG provides more than show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, your bathrooms, and your man caves. LMG also now has an extensive selection 
of custom shower builds with their new grout-free shower line. That's right. No muss, no fuss. And guess what? In a couple years, you won't have to worry about the odor that comes with grout in your shower. Man, that sounds convenient and cost-effective. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com, to learn more about all the sensational services and the tremendous products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their soon-to-be-renovated showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Louisiana Raging Cajuns opened up their seasons on the hardwood last night inside the Cajun Dome. We had you taken care of with coverage. Hannah Five Names, Matthew Miguez, they tag-teamed the two games, even have a gallery on Facebook from the two games shot by our very own Miss Hannah Five Names. Both got wins, and expectations are high for both of these teams. Now, the Raging Cajun women, you know, not having Brandy, losing her in the preseason hurts. She was going to be one of their top scorers, so they're going to have some things to figure out there, but a nice start to the season as they take down the University of Houston Cougars 55-48. to Raging Cajuns came out strong, put up eight points to start up the game, went on an eight-run, 8-0 run, but the Cougars responded with a 7-2 run to make a ball game of it. Kind of went back and forth for a little while, but the final period came and the Cougars were kept pushing to quiet the Cajuns with a 10-5 run to start. But the last 345 went by, and the Cajuns produced a 12-9 run that helped Louisiana win 55-48. 55-48 victory. Ooh, lots of fouls in this game, though. 45? Oh, man, 45 fouls is not optimal. <laughs> it's a lot of – that's a lot of free throw line extravaganza there. You'll see that a lot, especially early in the season when it comes to basketball, in particular women's basketball. It takes them a little while to kind of clean that up. Men have the problem as well. But, look, Gary Broadhead's been doing this a long time. Great high school coach. Been a great college coach for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And it's all about consistency. We talked about Brandy being out. And he shared afterwards, you know, it's hard to keep that same lineup but always building Consistency as an entire group. You're trying to figure out what's the lineups that work best for you, and you're trying to, to see them in practice, but it, uh, you got to put them in the game. When you put the lights on and get the referees and the scoreboard, it, it changes a lot of pressure. I mean, for Sherry to be a fifth-year player and, and for her to say she's a little nervous, I, I didn't see no nerves, but I, she told me before the game she was kind of nervous. But, man, I wasn't nervous for her because I know how experienced she is. And I think in college basketball, experience goes a long way, man. And I think that's where we have some kids that are experienced, and we're going to have to give some experience to some other other kids to, to, to better get more consistent. I think that's going to be the biggest thing for us. Can we get consistent uh, at what we do and, and within our system? And, look, the non-conference slate is when you kind of figure that out. Gary's going to figure out the rotation. He'll figure out how that works, who blends well with others, Sometimes it comes down to pairings on the floor. Some girls or some players just play better together than others. And so that has to be considered as part of your rotation and how you handle things and how you scheme it up when you have your team take the court. And here's the other thing. It's so early in the season, once again, season opener. 
that you never do know when to expect, even after you may be leading in the third or fourth quarters? You know, I think that's hard to do, you know. I really do, especially when you first start in the season. And, you you, you know, we, you know, even as coaches, you know, you're in practice every day and you know what, the, what we're capable of doing. But, you know, you, you played an exhibition game and a scrimmage and, you know, you really couldn't see it yet, you know. And then to come out today and we, I honestly, for me, I was just looking for some consistency. If we could find a, a group of kids that could be a little bit more consistent. And I tell you what, they played hard. They were consistent, and you know, they, you know, it's sticking together. You know, we, we it wasn't a perfect game. I mean, we still had 19 turnovers. You know, that's got a little, probably a little bit too much. But to be able to win with 19 turnovers, you know, our our Achilles heel has always been rebounding and turnovers. If we can out rebound a, a team and keep the turnovers low, we do a pretty good job. So, yeah, I mean, it's that's kind of what you see. You know, it's it's like you never know what to expect. You know, Gary's always gonna kind of tweak things. That's what he likes to do, and he's going to be doing that during this non-conference slate, in particular in between now and probably Christmas. And by the time the holidays roll around, he'll have his team set up the way he wants it to be, barring injury, of course. That's always the big, you know, the big what if for any team. Women, they get the win over the University of Houston. The men take the court later on last night inside the Cage Dome, and they pick up a victory over Cincinnati. That's right. The gents. Ooh, gotta love the gents. Gotta love those gents. They get a win and they set the tone really early on. Opened up with a 14 to 2 run. Jordan Brown, your preseason player of the year, sets the tone for this team. And they just kept extending and extending and extending. 49, it was 59 21 at the break. And then they opened up the second half, outscoring the Gents 16-7 to to kind of put the game away. Once again, Centenary, not on the same level as UL. And the Raging Cajuns defense did a nice job holding Centenary to 28.4 shooting from the field. Brown was excellent, 26 on 9 of 11 shooting and only 27 minutes of action. The Cajuns men's basketball team now travels to Asheville, North Carolina for the Asheville Championship. They'll take on Harvard on Friday. And Bob Marlin talked about, hey, how great it was that everyone got involved, everyone was scoring, and what a great experience that was to have everyone kind of be able to contribute and contribute well. It's good for the young guys. And back to Kevin's question, too, you know, that's a positive. It's kind of like game experience in Puerto Rico. Tonight we've got a game experience in for these guys at home uh, in a comfortable environment. So to see the, the young guys have some success was certainly encouraging. And, I mean, we, we've seen practice where Chancellor's made every shot, where Vin, Vinny's made every shot. I mean, those, those guys are good players, and they're just young and inexperienced. And tonight they got some experience. They're going to be led by Jordan Brown. He's the experienced guy. He's your dynamic scorer. He can also rebound. He's the preseason player of the year. He's a big reason why the Raging Cajuns are picked to win the conference, and that's what the expectations level is this season for Bob Marlin's bunch. And he delivered last night, and Marlin talked about what Jordan Brown was able to do in the season opener. Just like he did in the two scrimmages, very similar. I think he had 26 and 7, 29 and 7, and tonight, what do you have? 20, 26 and 9. Shot the ball well, did a great job from the free throw line. Only thing he didn't do 
well was he took a couple of three-point shots, and a couple of them were open. He, he forced the last one, but I thought he did a good job and needed a rebound better. He knows that, uh, but it was a good good start for him. He's worked really hard, and he's getting uh, good results because of that. 106-55 win for the Raging Cajuns as they open up the season with a dub. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans. They started off with so much promise, but now they've fallen back to the pack. What ails the Pelicans? Ollie Cassell from the Bird Rights will join us to share his thoughts on what he thinks is going on. That's next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. New Orleans Pelicans started off the season looking strong, looking like a contender, even with B.I. suffering a concussion and Zion being a little banged up. They played well, got wins against the Brooklyn Nets, against Charlotte, and hung tough against Utah in overtime. But since then, they've stumbled a little bit, the Pelicans have. And to break it down for us on what's kind of going wrong slightly for this team, is the man in charge of the bird rights. Our good friend Ollie Cassell joins us now. Ollie, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Good morning, Raymond. A little somber because uh, last night, New Orleans sports, nobody wanted to win a game. <laughs> no, no. Everyone said, no, we're good. It's fine. It's fine. No, no, no one cares. We're good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, that's what it felt like. I'd go from the Pelicans game flipping to the Saints, and it's just like, that's not even any better. <laughs> so I was stuck. So they're they're losing some games here that they should be winning, right? I mean, that's what it boils down to. They should have won that Lakers game. I know the Lakers got pumped up about it, but Lakers are one of the worst teams in not only the West, but the NBA right now. They lose to the Lakers, a team they should have beat. And then, you know, you go to last night, Indiana's not bad. They're a 500 ball club now, but that's a game they should have won as well. I know it's on the road, 129 to 122 loss. And now the Pelicans are 500, five and five on the season. Uh, what, what ails the Pels of late? To me, yesterday's game was different than the other losses because, you know, you mentioned the Lakers game. Had the ball bounced just one one bounce differently, they would have won that game, right? Dyson Daniels makes a free throw. If um, they don't sink that three-pointer, Matt Ryan, I believe it was, shooting that crazy three-pointer in the corner going in to force overtime. And then, of course, they lost overtime games to the Jazz and the Hawks, where we saw them, right, make valiant second-half uh, comebacks and have a chance to win. So, 
like I said, they could have been basically seven and two, maybe even eight and one if they were really lucky going into yesterday's game. And so yesterday we would have just what shrugged it off, right? They're tired. They're on the road. The schedule hasn't been favorable, but because they have those losses, now you kind of are forced to look at this one a little bit differently, I think. And Willie Green, he was visibly upset in post game, and rightfully so. It seemed like Indiana was just ten years younger, right? They were running around the Pelicans, so. They had no problem scoring the ball. And I know there's people that saying this team doesn't shoot enough threes, but offense wasn't the issue. It was being able to stay in front of a pacer, right? Not being able, you know, to do almost anything, right? They did whatever they wanted. Buddy Heald looked fantastic. Miles Turner almost had a career high. He had 37 points. They, they just couldn't stop anybody, like I said, because they couldn't stay in front. And, and, and they didn't stick to their game plan, right? You got to be able to run a team that likes to shoot three points off the three-point line. They let them shoot 48 of them. So they made 22, second most Indiana's ever made in franchise history. That's how you lose that game. You know, you mentioned the three-pointers. You know, a lot of people are pointing that out. You're not ready to kind of rush to that judgment yet. It's early, right? We're only 10 games into the season, Ollie. So, um, and Trey Murphy's going to be that guy to handle the three-point shooting load on this team because they, they're not, st- you know, stacked with a ton of three-point shooters. And I think they can win a lot of games that way, but what do you make of the three-point shooting issues, I guess? Well, I think every team has to play to their strengths. And for the Pelicans, it's obvious. It's getting inside the lane. The biggest issue, Raymond, they haven't been converting this year, right? And foremost, the problem has been Zion. He's been rusty in coming back. He hasn't had that touch. I mean, when I've been there live, he's missing layups that he normally made, you know, prior to a 17-month layoff. So, you got to give him time. And that, I think that goes for the rest of the guys. I mean, last night I saw a million missed layups, and yet, what, they score 122 points? Yeah. Like I said, yeah. And then the free throws. They aren't getting that free throw advantage, not yet anyways, right? I think they're about, I want to say, the middle of the pack in the league in terms of getting to the free throw line. It's, they've got to be top 10 easy, and you got to think that's going to change because they do live inside that lane where you do get fouled a lot more than you do somewhere else on the perimeter. So I feel like if that just balances out, then those three-point, you know, concerns will go away because they should look to go inside first, then look, you know, for their three ball because they don't have those guys. You mentioned Trey Murphy. He's pretty much their best three-point shooter. After that, you know, you've got Brandon Ingram, CJ, but they've got, you know, a variety of ways of attacking, so they don't really jack up 10 threes in a game. So I like that the game plan is what it is. Find the open shot, the best shot, but look to get inside first. What do we make of this team's defense? Based on 10 games or based on last night? Because well, based two- on, no, no I don't, we don't want to be knee-jerk reaction, right? But based on right. 10 games, what, what, what are you seeing and what needs still to improve when it comes to the defensive side of things? Yeah, I think for the most part, before yesterday happened, they've been fine. They haven't put in usually 48-minute efforts, right, where you're running around, you're chasing down all the loose balls. You're you're checking off all the boxes, basically, right? The weak side defense is there. For instance, last night we didn't see any of that. And you saw what happens if they don't play defense. You're going to get an average team, have a hot night, you know, basically put up 130 points. So overall, like I said, through the first nine games, I saw where they're at least playing defense for probably at least half the game, right? And that's good, but it's not good enough. Because usually we've said it, right, Raymond, that they're going to be able to rely on their offense. But if you're not, offense isn't clicking like it should yet. Like as we just mentioned, 
the defense has to play at least a little bit better. And, you know, it hasn't really. And I'm not quite sure what the issue is. But look, when you can't guard a pick and roll, when you can't basically stop the players doing, or I should say the opponents doing from what the scattering report says you need to stop them from doing, well, that's going to make life tough. And like I said, I feel like last night was just an aberration. But overall, they've shown the quickness. Jose Alvarado's done a great job. Herb Jones is back. And I thought he tried mightily last night in slowing down Tyrese Halliburton, came up with that late block. But it, like I said, it wasn't enough because there's guys like Brandon, Zion. Jonas looks a little bit slow because he kind of is. So you have to game plan for it. Larry Nance getting hurt, that could hurt right in the long run. Um, even though he avoided major injury, if he misses just a few games, that really hurts the defense. So right now it's all up in the air, Raymond. They just aren't there yet is the best way to put it. We're talking with Ollie Cassell, editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights, talking New Orleans Pelicans, and now we're going to shift, uh, shift over to the rest of the NBA. I want to—I know we're 10 games in, 10, 11 games in in, in, most, in, most, in most cases. Utah is atop the Western Conference. Are you surprised how well they're playing, especially with the offseason they had where they shipped out guys? Well, if you base it from just the offseason, yeah, we all thought they were going to stink, right? They were going to be one of the worst teams in the league. But as soon as you watch them play, and I saw them live, and then I also watched a few games uh, in the first couple of weeks, I even tweeted out, they're for real. They're not going to fall off unless they suffer injury or Danny Ainge blows them up. Because they are just as deep as, say, the Pelicans, but they seem to play with better unity right now, where they know where the ball needs to go. All 10 guys are giving it their all defensively, and we kind of saw that in the game against the Pelicans. Uh, they bring it more for 48 minutes. So, no, I think they're absolutely for real. I don't think they're a top-four team. But I think, without a doubt, they're, they're playoff-bound. They're at least going to get in the play-in tournament um, because they've got enough weapons to make it work. Phoenix, not surprising that they're there. Good staff, good, you know, well-built team. Portland, they're playing a little bit above their punching weight, I feel like. Um, Trailblazers, obviously they have Dame, but, you know, I'm kind of surprised of the the good start to the season for them. I am too. I mean, hats off, first of all, to Phoenix. After the way they battled the last playoffs, everybody said they're done, and then they went through the whole Robert Sarver uh, dilemma for them to come out strong, even with Chris Paul not looking like Chris Paul, right? I've been impressed. Now it's going to be curious to see how do they handle Cam Johnson being out for one to two months, and they don't have Jay Crowder. So I think, you know, they're probably going to drop back a little bit now, but they're a good team. When healthy, they're, they're definitely one of the top five, six teams in the West. Portland, that's been another surprise, right? We all thought this quick rebuild re, uh, around Damian Lillard wasn't going to work, but yet it has. I mean, our old buddy Josh Hart's up there doing his thing as a starter. Uh, but they've got a lot of weapons, right? Grant, that was a great trade. Um, and, and Nurkic is healthy. So they've got a good legitimate starting five, if you like, with Anthony Simons being that three-point threat. He's almost like Trey Murphy out there, but but he's already doing his thing out there. So I like them. As for the rest of the guys, you know, we, we expect the Memphis to be up there, Denver, Dallas. So those aren't surprises. And look out, the Clippers just jumped ahead of the, the Pelicans. You know, where they've fallen now into eight. And they're going to, like I said, this, this West we knew was going to be tough. But now there's a couple of teams like Utah and Portland in the mix that nobody expected. So you've got to fight and you've got to not throw away these winnable games moving forward if you're the Pelicans. Because otherwise, you know, it's going to push you to what? 
Raymond, 45, 46 wins, and that's definitely playing territory, it looks like, this year. Who's in more trouble, Golden State or L.A. Lakers? You know the answer is Los Angeles Lakers, right? Watched them again yesterday. Those guys just, they don't have the talent. They don't play hard for 48 minutes. It's a really bad combo. That's the thing that really stands out is the lack of effort. Yeah. Is really what stands out. They hang their heads for a full quarter or so. LeBron James isn't even giving effort, you know, and I know he didn't play last night, but in the previous game he did. And that, you know, I saw some video highlights of that, and he's just literally standing there watching his man go by, doesn't care. So if that's happening when your leader's doing that, yeah, I almost feel like their season's already over. As to where the Warriors, you know, they won a tough one, a close one. Curry was amazing, went for over 45 points. They're going to be fine. They they went through a rough patch last year, but Lakers, they just don't have the weapons. And Anthony Davis, Raymond, doesn't he look slow and old? He's not the same guy we saw in New Orleans. So he's he's not a top 10, top even maybe 20 player anymore. That's a problem for LA. Do they blow do they blow this up at the trade deadline? I think you do if you can get a good return for Anthony Davis and um if LeBron James basically signs off on it, maybe even wanting out, right? I'm not sure if they could get what – like, look at what Rudy Gobert fetched over the summer. I don't think Anthony Davis is fetching anywhere close to that return with the way he's been playing, how consistently he's been hurt, and now suddenly he he can't make a jumper to save his life. I mean, last two games, I don't think he's even shot a three-pointer yet. So his game's going south. He's just not the same player. Quickly, only got about 30 seconds, Ollie. Will we see Kyrie Irving play another game in the NBA? I'm going to say yes. I'm just not sure it'll be with Brooklyn. But, you know, a lot of players get second chances. And I I think Kyrie is going to make the apology. He's probably going to check off that checklist, right, that Joe uh, Tsai, the uh, Nets owner, kind of wants him to basically do. But, you know, Kyrie's had hiccups before, other players too, and they somehow make it back in the league. And, you know, when he's a top 10, top 20 player, when he's right, somebody's going to take a chance on him. Um, I don't know who it'll be, and I certainly hope it won't be New Orleans, but – I, I think because of his talent, he'll, he'll get another opportunity somewhere. Hey, you can trade Russell Westbrook to Brooklyn and get Kyrie in return, L.A. Get after it. <laughs> you know, and, people wanted to see that, right? Over I, the know, I know, I know what dysfunction that would be. Brother, appreciate your time. As always, keep up the tremendous work that you're doing at the uh, Bird Rights, and we'll talk to you next week, bud. Thanks, Raymond. Hopefully we'll be a little bit happier next week, buddy. <laughs> Oh, we got to take a time out. Our final one of today's show. We'll get you set up for Kevin Foote and a non-glorious footnotes. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, your Alexa Google Home speaker helps out around the house. It allows you to control your lights, your thermostats, and so much more. But did you know that it can also play the game? Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. I want to take a moment to thank our guest, Brett Chancy from the Locked On Astros podcast, Coach Dez from the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Jim Gazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press, and Ali Cassell from the Bird Rights Poll question of the day. How do you feel this morning about the 2022 Saints? 54% of you say, I miss Drew and Sean. 35% say it's time for the paper sacks. 9% say this team is cursed. And 2% say, who dat? Still hopeful. That'll do it for us. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parsh III. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, 
Be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. <laughs> 